See, in many cases, limping behind is infinitely better than raising over limpers for a few reasons. First, it keeps the pot small, which at first seems kind of like a bad thing because, after all, given everything that we've talked about, don't we want to build big pots when we're in position? Well, yeah, building big pots in position can make you a lot of money, but not when you're doing it with marginal hands that flop dominated draws in multi-way pots. Keeping the pot smaller pre-flop works well because it causes opponents to play more straightforwardly, because since there's more opponents in the pot, they're forced to play more honestly than they would in a heads-up or three-way pot. Plus, raising over limpers causes the pot to be bigger post-flop, which means that people are more willing to fight for the pot and stack off lighter, but when it's a limped pot, players tend to check-fold more easily because, after all, there's only a few big blinds out there, so who cares, right? They're thinking, let's just be done with the hand and move on to the next one. What this means is that when players check to you in a limped pot, you can oftentimes get a good price to steal 4 or 5 big blinds with little resistance. Next, raising over limpers won't get you heads up or even 3-way nearly as often as in no limit, simply because most players understand that people rarely limp with the intention of limp folding, which means that players in the blinds can count on getting a good price on calling your raise since there will be more money put into the pot behind them. And last, just to make sure we're on the same page, contrary to what I thought when I was 21, Limping behind won't make you any less of a man, I promise. Now, as always, our preflop decisions need to be centered around what kind of post-flop situation we're creating for ourselves based on the big three. So before we get into what kind of hands are good to limp behind with, let's take a look at what kind of scenario we're getting ourselves into when we decide to limp behind. Given everything we've talked about in the previous three lessons, I bet that you'll probably be able to figure out what the ideal hands are for limping behind before I even tell you. See, when we choose to limp behind, our post-op scenario will almost always be deep-stacked, multi-way pot, in position. So what kind of hand should we play then? Alright. So if you happen to put some thought into what hands are the best to limp behind with, you probably came to the conclusion that nutty, polarized, bare single component hands are the best to limp behind. In general, nutty and polarized hands, such as 9875 Rainbow, Ace-9-6-4 suited to the Ace, and weak Aces and Kings like multi-way pots because they hit a few select flops very hard. But raising over limpers and building pots with hands like these won't do you much good in the long run. The problem is that if you choose to raise over limpers with hands like these instead of limping behind, you'll just be building big pots with hands that don't flop strong very often. And referring back to what we've established in previous lessons, if there's more players in the pot, the less poker you'll end up playing. And when pots are four-way or more, it basically just comes down to a contest of who flopped the nuts and who didn't. And more often than not, these hands won't flop very strong, which means that you'll be raising preflop simply for the sake of sweetening the pot for someone else. Plus, since hands like these are so polarized, having the option to check behind and realize some equity doesn't really matter since hands like these don't pick up equity on very many turns. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Alright, so now that we know which hands are the best for limping behind, which hands should we open in late position, but avoid isolating limpers with? Well, there's mainly three categories of hands that can be opened profitably in late position, but that you should avoid isolating with. The first type of hands are the disconnected, double-suited hands, like Queen-8, 4-deuce, double-suited. The second are the single-suited, weak, three-card hands, like 10-9, 7-4, single-suited. And the last group are the semi-connected, low-to-mid-pocket pairs, like 8-8, 7-3, single-suited. Now, it makes sense that these hands play terribly in a multi-way single-raised pot, because the one characteristic they all share is low nuttiness, which if you remember correctly, isn't what we'd prefer to have in a multi-way pot. 
The difference between being the first to open the pot in late position from limping behind or isolating limpers is that when you open these hands, you have a reasonable chance of getting the pot heads up in position. But if you limp behind or isolate a limper, you'll almost always find yourself battling several other players with a hand that plays poorly in multi-way pots. And I don't know about you, but that definitely sounds negative EV to me. Now, choosing whether to open, isolate, or limp behind obviously depends a lot on what cards you're holding, but it definitely shouldn't be the only indicator that you use to influence your decision in one direction or the other. Paying attention to table dynamics can give you a big edge if you know what to look for. More specifically, it's especially important to pay attention to the player types in the blinds, because how loose or tight they're playing has a big impact on how aggressively you can attack the weaker players. If there's nits in the blinds and a fish limps, you can wind your isolating range because the likelihood that you'll get heads up in position against the fish is much higher. But if there's very loose players in the blinds or on the button behind you, isolating the limper doesn't work as well because too often you'll get called by someone in the blinds, which as I mentioned earlier, makes playing post-flop more difficult. And in general, it's good to get in the habit of constantly asking yourself questions during a session, and it's something that I've noticed most successful players have a habit of doing. Ask yourself questions like, what kind of player types are behind me? What are the stack sizes? Where's the value in my hand going to come from? In fact, asking questions is so important that if I notice myself not asking questions anytime during a session, it's a pretty good indicator that I should quit because I'm too tired or unfocused. Something else that's important to point out is that you should avoid isolating short stacks light. Isolating short stacks doesn't work very well because their stack size reduces the value of your positional advantage. Not only can they check raise you post-flop and get stacks in quick, but it's also tough to barrel them profitably. Some of this might seem a little complicated, but for now just realize that a good rule of thumb is that you can isolate one limper light, but never two. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Alright, open limping is kind of an interesting topic, because when most players see someone open limp at a 6-max table, they automatically label them as being a fish. But does that mean that you should never consider open limping? Or put more simply, can open limping be profitable? Well, I don't recommend making open limping your default move in early position by any means, but there's a couple of scenarios where open limping can be a viable option. But the first thing to point out is that it depends entirely on table dynamics and the strength of your hand. And what I mean by table dynamics is that open limping is fine if you're at a very soft table where the players will let you get away with it. For example, we've talked a lot about how the ideal scenario for nutty and polarized hands like weak aces and kings are the deep stacked multi-way pots, right? Well, if you find yourself at a passive table where the players aren't punishing the limpers, then feel free to open limp the hands that play well in these types of scenarios. It's also important to point out that I prefer min-raising instead of open limping from early position for a couple of reasons. First, when you min-raise with the hands I just mentioned, it widens people's calling ranges, which is a good thing because it keeps in all kinds of trashy pocket pairs and suited hands that you dominate post-flop that otherwise might have folded had you opened for full pot under the gun. Plus, the problem with limping is that you induce players to isolate you, which kind of sucks because it can deter other players from entering the pot. But if you min-raise instead, they'll more often just call your open, which is good because it encourages multi-way action, which if you're min-opening the correct range under the gun is good. Now, a lot of times you'll find yourself in the small blind with the option to complete after one or more players has limped into the pot. Something I've noticed is that a lot of beginning players have a tendency to complete with practically any four cards, because after all, they're getting an amazing price to call half a big blind, so why not throw in a few more bucks and see a flop, right? Wrong. Like everything else we've talked about, 
It's important to objectively look at what kind of post-flop scenario you're creating for yourself by completing, and then thinking about where the value in your hand is going to come from. In terms of the big three, our situation is very similar to earlier when we went over what types of hands are profitable to limp behind with, except in this case, we have the worst possible position at the table, as opposed to being in the cutoff or on the button. So how should we adjust? Or more simply, which hand should we play? Okay, the first thing to point out is that one of the most common mistakes made by players at almost every level is completing the small blind with hands that have no potential of making the nuts. The problem with completing trashy hands is that oftentimes you'll be putting yourself in very difficult spots on later streets. Remember how we've talked about how the situation you want to avoid the most in PLO is check calling out a position with weak or medium strength hands and draws? Well, that's very true, but betting out a position into a field of players with a non-nut hand or draw isn't very fun either. Plus, something else that most players don't think about is how even when you flop strong in a limped multi-way pot, it's tough to take a good value line because it's hard to pretend like you don't have a strong hand. For example, let's say you flop a set of eights on a jack-8-5 two-tone board in a limped four-way pot. How are you going to get value? Donk leading is an option, but extracting value on later streets is tough if you fill up because it's kind of obvious what you have, and straights and flushes will play more passively on later streets anyway. Plus, if you don't fill up, there's a ton of scare cards on later streets that'll force you to do a lot of guesswork. Any 4, 6, 7, 9, 10, queen, or flush completing card could potentially beat us. And remember, we have to avoid all of those cards twice. Also, let's say you flop a jack-high flush on a monotone board in a 4-way limped pot. At first you're thinking, this is sweet, man. I have a flush. I'm going to bet the pot. But are you really that happy about getting called? and you're going to have to fold if someone raises you. To put it more simply, it's highly unlikely that you'll ever win a big pot with a jack or queen high flush in a multi-way limped pot. So why complete it in the first place? So let's make sure we're on the same page. When we complete out of the small blind, most of the time we'll end up check folding, but when we flop strong, it'll be difficult to get value. And then when we flop a medium strength hand, we'll be beat a high percentage of the time, and our opponents can play almost perfectly against us on a wide variety of board textures. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty bad deal. By now you might be thinking, okay, that makes sense. Only complete hands with nutty potential because playing out of position is hard. And since we don't have a positional advantage, the value in our hand has to come from making a stronger hand than my opponents. But how do I know if my hand is nutty or worthy of a complete? That's a good question. And the best solution is to use the miracle flop test. It's a test that was coined by Jeff Huang in his book titled Pot Limit Omaha Poker. It's pretty simple. And all you have to do is take any four card hand and imagine what the best possible flop would be for that hand. For example, the definition of a nutty hand means that it's capable of flopping the nut straight, nut flush, or top set. Easy stuff, right? Overall, what I want you to take away from this is that there are a lot of things working against you in small blind situations. So choose the hands you play wisely, because bleeding away money out of the small blind is an unnecessary leak that can destroy your win rate. Alright. We've covered the situations where you should limp behind and complete in the small blind, but are there ever spots where we should raise over limpers when we're in the blinds? The short answer is yes, but before we talk about what hands to do it with and against what player types, let's take a second to, yep, you guessed it, remind ourselves what kind of post-flop scenario we're creating when we raise over limpers out of position in terms of the big three. Just like all of the scenarios we've covered during this lesson, the pot will almost certainly be multi-way, because most players don't like to limp fold pre-flop out of position. So why would they be more likely to limp fold when they're in position this time, right? 
will also be out of position for the rest of the hand, and depending on the number of opponents and stack sizes, we'll be working with an SPR somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 to 8. So let's check out the next slide and see how this affects our hand selection. Alright, taking into consideration the things I mentioned in the previous slide, there's mainly two categories of hands that are profitable to raise over limpers with. First, the near-nut, multi-component hands like Queen-Jack-10-8 double-suited and King-King-10-6 double-suited, and then second are the smooth single-suited hands with high card strength, like Ace-Ace-King-9 single-suited and Ace-King-Jack-10 single-suited. Now, the most important quality that all of these hands share is their ability to dominate other players calling and stacking off-ranges post-flop, as well as their barreling ability on later streets if you get called on the flop. Since these hands all have a smooth equity distribution post-flop, they'll be more likely to pick up backdoor equity on the turn, which gives us a better chance of successfully double barreling, which is great when we have the initiative out of position. Knowing which hands to raise over limpers with is great, but what are the types of hands that you should avoid raising limpers with? First, avoid raising over limpers with dry aces. Most players that aren't complete beginners know that 3-betting and going broke on any flop with weak aces is a big leak, but I still see a lot of players raising over limpers out of position with very weak aces all the time. Last slide I mentioned the importance of having a smooth equity distribution when you're out of position, because it gives you the opportunity to barrel more profitably on later streets. Being stuck on the turn with a hand like Dry Aces that has little or no equity against a calling range has the opposite effect. And tell me, when you raise over limpers out of position, what kind of range do you think your opponents are going to put you on? Probably big cards or pocket aces, right? So given this, you can imagine how little action you get on ace-high boards. Unless you're beat, of course. Second, avoid raising the decent-looking unpaired hands, because many times you'll be crushed by the top of the ranges that raise your c-bet on the medium-strength flops for these types of hands. Put more simply, hands like these more often than not make unsupported one or two pair hands, which leaves you in many awkward spots on later streets. Last, non-nutty hands that are easily dominated, like 9875 single-suited, can get you into a lot of trouble, because not only do they flop a lot of marginal-made hands and combo draws, but the type of backdoor equity they pick up on later streets is dominated as well. For example, let's say you decide to raise over limpers out of position with 9875 single-suited with clubs and flop a wrap on a 10-6-5 rainbow board with one club. See bet the flop and get called, and then pick up a flush draw when the turn is a queen of clubs. Even though the turn adds several more non-nut outs, it can still be very easily dominated by a hand that also improves on that card. Hey, what's going on guys? Casino Crime here. Now if you like this video and you want more, then go ahead and click the subscribe button below right now. And if you want to join me for more of my 6 max success secrets and free video tutorials, just click the link to the right. See you inside the trainings. Good luck.